Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. Stay with me, please. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. The Apostle Paul, of course, directed by the Holy Spirit, says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth the bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now, we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Thank you. You may be seated. Of course, we remember the account of Sarai and Hagar and how uh, Abraham and Sarah had waited. It had been 10 years since God had promised to give Abram a seed there in Genesis 12. And we know that Abram had impatiently asked the Lord, who are you going to give me for an heir? I have this servant of mine that's the heir of my house. And the Lord said, no, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a, a, a seed that will come from your own bowels. You realize how tricky it was? Ishmael partially fulfilled that promise. Ishmael was the natural offspring of Abram. Uh, but Sarai, as you well know, had never been able to conceive. They had been childless their entire marriage. And that is something God had shut her womb by now. She's too old to have children. And so then, as Abram and Sarai get impatient on the Lord, we found there in Genesis chapter 16, she suggested to Abraham, well, not suggested, said, why don't you take my maid, and we'll say that her child is mine, and that'll be the seed. Now, all that it took to produce Ishmael was some fleshly reasoning and natural fleshly conduct. It was not a miracle that Ishmael was born. It was natural that he was born. When a man and woman marry, natural outcome is they have children. And so when he took her to himself as wife, and we went over all that, it took an act of uncleanness, stepping outside the bounds of God's restrictions on marriage. It required some level of deceit. Um, it resulted in all that. We'll cover a little bit of that more tonight. But th- th- we're taken back to that text, and Abraham, or, uh, the Apostle Paul is reminding those that are Wanting to go back into the law, I want to remind you, Abraham didn't just have a son. He had two different sons, and they both represent something completely different. And so we know that from Abraham came Moses and the nation of Israel and the law, but also from Abraham came Jesus Christ. One gives us the law, but the other, the Bible says that 
that Christ was made of a woman made under the law, but the Bible tells us that by Moses came the law, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, putting a contrast between the ministry of the law and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, for our understanding, we'll just, again, there'll be some review in this, but let's go back to Galatians 4 here and give you three things, as I said, out of this text. We'll begin with focusing on the patriarch, Abraham, verses 21 and 22. And when Paul says, tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? You're not listening to what is written. And it seems to me when he says law here in verse 21, he's referring more than to just the code, but the period of time. This is where we get the idea of the dispensation of the law. When he starts referencing Abraham, he's dealing with, are you not listening to the law? If you go back to where the law came from and how it was originated, you need to go back to Abraham. He continues to do this. He says, verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. And so then as we focus in on this, he begins with, in verse 22, do you not remember that Abraham had two sons? He's dealing with Abraham's reproduction. He reproduced two sons who are very different from each other, uh, very much grew up differently, very much turned out differently. So they originated differently. They grew up differently. They turned out differently. Uh, It's as though the people that knew the law had forgotten this account about Hagar and Ishmael and what what Paul is reminding them of, God in his foreknowledge and his wisdom laid this down so that when we get to this point in history and this point in time, we can look back and realize God never, by looking at this story of Abraham, God never intended our natural ability of keeping the law to establish our righteousness. He is revealing through the scripture it was never God's intent and God has put something in the law to help you understand the intent of the law and the incapability of the law. Paul's continued to establish that. In Romans, he deals with the fact that the law uh, is weak through the flesh, meaning we cannot in our natural state produce the demands of God. And so by, by focusing on this reproduction of Abraham, he's reminding them not everything that Abraham produced was good. You say you're children of Abraham. You want to be children of Abraham and you think you're children of Abraham by naturally keeping the law, let me remind you about Abraham. Abraham himself, he produced two natures. Well, get a hold of this. There's, if you as a Christian, I as a Christian, don't get a hold of the fact that you and I, once we're saved, have two natures, we're going to be in trouble. Because you, you, every, every, every professing Christian is going to land somewhere on this. There are those who teach that when you get saved, the old nature is annihilated, that you no longer have the propensity to sin. Well, if that's true, there's not a person in this room saved tonight. The people that teach that have got to be intellectually dishonest because the only, the only true and just explanation is found in Galatians that here's Abraham. Now, I ask you something. Did Abraham produce a good son or a bad son? The answer is yes. In his nature, he produced a bad one. And by faith, he produced a good one. He produced an evil seed and he produced a good seed. There's still turmoil in the world today because of Ishmael. Paul references it here. There is this Mount Sinai in Arabia, and he said it's still in bondage. (laughs) And the idea was then and now, there is an offspring from Abraham that is not righteous. There's an offspring, and not that they can't be saved, but they have produced, he produced a wild, Ishmael was a wild man. If I asked you, do you have 
a good, a good outcome of your life or an evil? What do you produce, good or bad? Naturally, bad. Supernaturally, good. And so that allegory is there to teach us of that. And we see that in the patriarch Abraham, that in his reproduction he produced two sons. There was one son produced by his natural activity, his natural reasoning, his natural conduct, and that son was Ishmael. And then there was another son produced by faith. And that was Isaac. And so we see in focusing on the patriarch, his, his reproduction, he produced two sons out of two different kinds of relationships. So we see his re reproduction there in verse 21 as it speaks, or 22, of his two sons. He had two sons. But then it speaks of two different kinds of relationships. Abraham had a relationship with Hagar, which would be like our relationship to the law. And he had a relationship with Sarah, which would be like our relationship with grace and by faith in the Spirit of God. And his relationship with Hagar produced Ishmael. His relationship with Sarah produced Isaac. Two different relationships, two different outcomes. Two different relationships, two different reproductions. And so the allegory there is for us, when you and I are married to the law, it genders bondage. It, it meaning the service can only be by demand. The Bible repeatedly, and it will in Galatians 5.1, refer to the yoke of the law, meaning you are tied to it and it binds you to constantly prove that you're righteous. And just as Hagar did not serve Abraham out of love, she did not serve Abraham freely, she served because she had to, even so, the law has the same effect on us, does it not? I have to do this, and I have to do And don't misunderstand me. There are certain things as a Christian I feel I have to do, but not by force, but by freedom. I am free to do. Let me put it this way. Do I have to buy my wife flowers on such and such regular basis, or am I free to? I am free to. If I want to buy her flowers every month, I can. I can buy them for our Valentine's. I can buy them for her on Valentine's and her birthday. Now, I don't have to. It's not going to be a good relationship, but I don't at some point in time. But the fact is, we are, we are voluntarily spending our lives together. Voluntarily. I am married to my wife because I want to be. She's married to me because she wants to be. She doesn't stay because I hold a gun to her head. What the law does is it binds you and forces more and more out of you. It is a, it is a bondage relationship. I, I, I did not pin it down tonight, but the verse that seek, speaks of those who, going, who are going about to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted to the righteousness of God, which is by faith. If you're going to keep the law, when does the demand for doing more stop? It can't because you're never doing enough. So there's always, it, it binds you down. Here's the, the thing. Hagar served in this relationship because she had to. If We dealt with this a couple weeks ago. And that's the same way with the law. There was, a, there was a fear that bound her, the fear of losing her life, the fear of losing her livelihood is what established that relationship and it did not produce anything good. We dealt much with the fear of death. The law works upon the fear of death. Do this or you'll be cursed and die. If you don't, you'll die. And so then, that's how Hagar served. When she was told, you go be with Abraham. Do you think Abraham is the husband she voluntarily wanted to be married to? She's an Egyptian. He's a Hebrew. She's young. He's old. No, she did that because she had to or lose her livelihood. 
That's the way the law works. It demands, and it's, the law is not evil, don't misunderstand, but it is demanding of our conformity. And so we, we try to produce and try to produce in our natural ability. And so the two relationships give two reproductions. And for the, may I say this today, those today in this very, in 2022 that are trying to go back under the law, don't think for a minute they are producing some kind of a superior righteousness. They are producing sinfulness. Anyone who tries to be righteous by conforming to the law is going to produce corruption. You watch this. Any false religion underneath its surface, if you dig very far, you're going to find filth. Because false religion is man's effort to prove that he is righteous. And that is, that is, that is, a, false, that is a false effort from the word go. You're trying to prove something that is not true. If I said, you know what, I'm going to spend the rest of my life proving that 2 plus 2 does equal 5, what would you tell me I'm going to do the rest of my life? You know, waste your life. You cannot prove that because it's false. The person that says, I am going to prove that I am a, an inherently good and righteous person is going to waste the rest of their life until they drop into eternity in hell. And that's what the law does. It says, if you don't do this, how many of us know the law is abundantly clear? If you break the law, you are unrighteous. I heard one of the best illustrations, I don't remember who gave it the other day, of establishing righteousness by the law and why we are condemned if we break the law in one point. All the law is interconnected. The law is like a chain. And let's say you are hanging over the Grand Canyon by a chain. And you must climb up that chain to save your own life. And you decide, you know what? That one link right there, if I could cut it out, it would make this chain a little shorter. And all you do is break one link in the chain. What's going to happen? You're going to perish. When you broke the one link, you broke the whole. If you offend in one point, you're guilty of all. The law is all good, and therefore if you break one, you've broken it all, and you're done. How many of us can concede tonight we've all at least broken at least one point of the law? And so that's why going about to establish it and trying to produce the righteousness that the law demands is likened to this relationship that Abram had with Hagar. This is a relationship that was forced, it was demanded because she was a bond woman. She was in bondage to him and it produced Ishmael. And so we see with the patriarch a reminder of his reproduction, he produced two kinds of sons, one from the flesh and one by promise he, because he had two kinds of relationships. One relationship was of God. Can we agree with that? The relationship with Sarah was ordained of God. The relationship with Hagar, all that relationship does is establish for us that Abram was a sinner like everybody else, does it not? Can we not see through his relationship with Hagar that Abraham, how many of us know Abraham is not in heaven today because he was justified by his works? There are those that teach around the Old Testament, you are saved by grace or faith and works. Abraham does that, he shreds that to pieces. If so, he violated the law before it was ever written. His taking of Hagar proves that he is a sinner like you and I and must be justified by faith as Romans chapter 4 states. Is that not what the law does? It proves us guilty. And so we see in the patriarch his reproduction, two kinds of sons because of two kinds of relationships. The parallel, we're already dealing with that, but in verses 23 through 29, Paul establishes the parallel between that relationship and 
ourselves. Verse 23, he says, But who, he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory for these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth the bondage, which is Agar, for this Agar is Mount Sinai, in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Uh, for it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. And if you look at it this way, even as Abram and Hagar said, you know what, we're going to produce a child by natural effort and say that it's the child of Sarah, even so the person that says, I'm going to establish that I'm righteous by, by being obedient to God. Today, if you ask certain people, how do you get saved? They say, well, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and following him faithfully. And they'll say something like this, well, remember, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Yes, but that was not said as a condition of salvation. It was said as an evidence of salvation. So may, may I say this? If the idea is I will produce life by acting like I'm alive, I will produce righteousness by my natural ability to obey, meaning I, I, will, I will work so hard at being obedient to God that one day I'll prove that I'm a child of God. It cannot be done. And that is how much so many look at it. They say, well, you know, I'm working toward being a righteous person. I, in the jail this afternoon, the one young man, I, I asked these fellows, we were de- I was dealing with the man at the pool of Bethesda who had been lame for 38 years. 38 years he'd been in that condition. And when Jesus said, wilt thou be made whole? He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. He said, well, uh, every time the water moves and I try to get in, somebody gets in my way. And I'm paraphrasing. And I use that as an analogy uh, that, that so many times that's how we hear people today. Would you like for God to make you a new creature? Would you like to be saved? Well, I'm trying to be, but people have hindered me from being a good person. Isn't that what we hear? I've tried, but my parents, you don't know the parents I had. I've tried, but the justice system, you know, I've tried, but boy, people, churches have hurt me. And that wasn't my question. My, my question was not, why aren't you whole? My question is, would you be made whole? Isn't that what Jesus asked? But he, like us many times, was excusing why he was the way he was instead of realizing God can make you what you need to be. And then the Lord Jesus said, rise, take up thy bed and walk. Can you imagine telling a man who hasn't walked in 38 years to get up and walk? He didn't say, try. He said, get up and walk. Now, I want to ask you a question. The the command that Jesus gave to that man at the pool of Bethesda, rise, take up thy bed and walk. Was that impossible naturally? Yes. If not, he would have been whole 38 years ago. He could not do what Christ commanded him to do. May I say this, you open your Bible and find that Jesus Christ says rejoice evermore. Is that possible, naturally speaking? In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Yet your Savior tonight tells you to do it. He doesn't say try to rejoice evermore. He doesn't say try to give thanks in everything. He doesn't say try to pray without ceasing. He says do it. Now you try to produce it. All those things are based in the spirit of the law. That's beyond the letter. It's in the very spirit of things. Would not God have us to love him with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength? To do that, we've got to give thanks in everything. 
We must rejoice evermore. Do we really believe that all things work together for good to them that love God? To them who are the called according to his purpose? Well, then we should rejoice evermore. Here's what happens. We look at the demands of Christ and we try to fulfill that. That is for us to live the Christian life, which is righteousness, to be conformed. Christ is righteousness, is he not? So to be like him is just as, as easy as telling a man who's been lame for 38 years, get up and walk. Jesus told him to do something he could not do without the power of Jesus Christ. And he's told you and I to do the same. We are to bear fruit. We are to bear much fruit. We are to be long-suffering, gentle, good. We are to be filled with love. The fruit of the Spirit is to abound in our life. And you and I say, you know what, I'm going to love people, love people, love people. Man, that guy makes me mad. No, we have been commanded by our Savior to do something that cannot be done in the power of the flesh. And you see that exemplified in Abraham. But what Abraham said is, but I'm going to try it. God says, I'm going to give you a seed. And Abraham says, but you haven't, so I'm going to do it. May I say, there's a danger for us as Christians tonight. We look and we get a picture of what we ought to be as Christians. And we want to be that as Christians. We want to produce the fruit of the Spirit. We want to rejoice evermore. We want to be bold in our witness. And we try to produce that. And we try to produce that. And then sometimes, I believe this is where the Galatians got, in failing to produce what they knew they ought to produce, they said, then we're going to try to do it ourselves by going back and going to these rigid uh, laws that God wrote that were never intended to be a, a way of salvation. And they are replacing dependence on the power of the living Son of God, ministered by the living Holy Spirit of God to our lives, and said, you know what, we're going to do it. We're going to produce righteousness by keeping feasts and having strict dietary laws. Look, I'm all for having standards of godliness so that we can stay where we know the will of God is. But may I say this, standards of godliness are not means of righteousness. There are things to protect us and help us stay close to the Savior because we love Him. And when we know that over here is sin, then draw the line over there. But the fact of the matter is tonight, there is a temptation in us to want to produce what Christ has commanded of us. And what happens is all we produce when we try to produce it in our natural ability outside of dependence on his word is corruption. When you and I produce what we think is a Christian life by natural fleshly effort, it genders pride. It genders all kinds of filthy things. And so uh, what we see here is established is that uh, the, the, these two relationships are parallel to you and I. We have the flesh that, the, when he really deals with flesh, just what we are naturally without the enabling and indwelling and enabling spirit of God. What we are naturally without the power of God, that's the flesh. And when we try to, to marry up with our flesh, just our natural ability outside of what God enables us to do through the promises of his word, all we can produce is corruption. So if you try to take on the Christian life and say, I'm just going to do it, and you don't learn to depend on the promises of God, take him at his word and wait on him to keep his word. Let me ask you this. Can God enable a person to rejoice evermore? He can. We see it exemplified in our Lord and Savior. On the cross, was he grumbling, murmuring? Did he have every right to? Except it wasn't right to. <laughs> Even on the cross, his spirit was right toward God and men. Now, you know what? If we're going to live that life, it will be. I mean, in the filthy world we live in, can keep ourselves 100% clean and pure. Say, so, well, you're just telling us we're not supposed to? I'm saying you have to do it by the power of God. We have to live in dependence on the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and for him to keep his word. And 
the relationship that Abram had with Hagar is akin to our relationship with our flesh to where we, we endeavor by partnering with our own fleshly reasoning and fleshly abilities to produce what God has promised rather than tr- partnering with God and trusting him to produce in us what he's promised. You'll notice in Galatians 5 you have the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say the works of the flesh and the work of the Spirit or the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Works of the flesh, meaning what I in my own natural energy produce versus what is naturally the outcome of a right relationship with God. And we'll get into that when we get in Galatians 5. So the parallel in the relationships, just as Abraham had a relationship with Hagar, and that likens to us and our natural man or our flesh, and then Abraham had a relationship with Sarah, that is like our relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, that new man that is born in us. The Bible talks about the glorious liberty of the children of God. Do you know why Sarah had a relationship with Abraham? She voluntarily did. She wanted to. She was willing to. And that's how our relationship with God works. You know what submission is? Submission, I, I say this often, or I have said it often, haven't said it in a while. Don't confuse submission and coercion. Coercion is me forcing you to submit, and that's not submission then. Amen? If I, or, if I force you or you force me to do something I don't want to do, I may have to yield because you're more powerful than me, but that's not submission. Hagar was not genuinely submitted to Abraham. She was in bondage to Abraham. She had to do what she was told. Even so, our, do you realize in our natural ability, we, we have to yield. There's the law of sin and death that's in our flesh. In our flesh dwells no good thing. And so there's that relationship of the flesh and the relationship of us in this, uh, with, with the Spirit of God. And we serve uh, and, and the, the analogy to us is especially in the reproduction, just as Ishmael was the outcome of a fleshly relationship, and you and I, naturally, the outcome is corruption in our lives, but Isaac was a, was a, was a reproduction and the outcome of a relationship of faith and one that was mutual, one that was voluntary. There was freedom. Sarah was free. Hagar was not. And so in those relationships, we are in our flesh, bound to fleshly corruption, the outcome being corruption. And yet, uh, spiritually, we've been liberated and we are in a mutual, voluntary relationship with our Savior. Where the, the Lord is that Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Sarah was, was the, free, the free woman. She is voluntarily serving Abraham. She called him Lord, did she not? But you know what? That was voluntary. It wasn't because Abraham told her she had to. So she's the free woman. And so, again, in the relationships we see the parallel. In the reproduction we see the parallel in that we know that Ishmael became a wild man and Isaac became the seed of promise. And so uh, we also see the parallel, not only in the relationships, in the reproduction of an Ishmael and an Isaac that flesh produces corruption and the spirit produces life. Uh, Galatians 6, 9, Be not deceived. Um, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. You know what? We sow to the flesh by doing what, what is natural to us. What is natural to us. This is why trusting our own heart is such folly. We don't trust our heart. Our natural man is not trustworthy. Our natural propensity, our natural desires, 
They must be crucified with Christ. We trust God's reasoning. We trust His promises. We trust His desires. We trust His direction. And when you and I trust our own natural reasoning, what the outcome is? Ishmael. A wild man that can't be tamed and does his own thing and destroys things. When we trust the Spirit of God, that's what it means to sow to the Spirit. I trust the Word of the Spirit of God in the Bible. I, I trust that God is right and I freely yield to Him. The outcome is an Isaac. Isaac means laughter. The outcome is joy. The outcome is peace. The outcome is fulfillment, uh, satisfaction, all those things that Isaac brought to Abraham and Sarah. We find the parallel in the relationships that Abraham had with Hagar, the bondwoman, versus Sarah, the free woman, in the reproduction, Ishmael versus Isaac. We find the parallel in the recourse, though, as well. Go back to Galatians chapter 4. The Bible says this, um, on down here in uh, verse 27, For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. And that's the whole straight as the gate and broad as the way and, uh, and narrow as the way versus wide as the gate and broad as the way. Okay, Verse 28, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But look at verse 29. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Go, if you would, to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. And I want to try to give some practicality to this, if I may, this evening. It might help us make sense as to why certain people behave certain ways. Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, And the child grew and was weaned. Talking about Isaac. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. So now Abraham has these two sons, and they're both in the same house at the same time. You have Ishmael, 13 years old, and Isaac, who's been weaned. Verse 9, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, what? Uh, saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, doing what? Mocking. What is Ishmael doing to Isaac? Mocking. Don't you know that Ishmael realized he was not the legitimate son in that household? Don't you know that he understood I am a replacement. I am not what I'm supposed to be. I was birthed out of a relationship that wasn't supposed to be. And so he had a despite and a hatred for Isaac. May I say this? As your new man grows in you, your old man's going to pitch a fit. There's a war takes inside it. You know what, the, you know what your fleshly nature does to spiritual things? It mocks it. Anything spiritual, your flesh, your fleshly reasoning and mind is going to make a mockery of it. What a... People think you're an idiot if you do that. How stupid is that? Not only will you, that take place inside of you, there is a nature inside of you that ridicules spiritual things. I want to tell you something. The carnal child of God is the person that is succumbing in intimidation to the mockery of the flesh. Prayer, waste of time. Timing God's word, waste of time. You watch people that are lost. How do they feel about spiritual things? They mock it. How stupid for you to live your life that way. Oh, you're one of those holier than thou with your nose in the air. I'm going to tell you something. Inside the family of God, you know who mocks who? The carnal mock the spiritual. The carnal people, those who are more concerned about natural things, fleshly things, make a mockery of spiritual things. There are people that mock taking the time to fast and pray. People that mock praying about all things. Oh, we pray about everything. I've heard people claim to be Christians act like that. You don't have to pray about everything. God gave you a brain. What kind of a foolhardy statement is that? You really going to make a mistake praying about everything? 
That's why God gave you a brain. That's their way of saying we use our natural reasoning. Well, God did give you a brain. I understand. God gave us enough sense to pray. And here's what happens. All through time, the natural, the fleshly mocks the spiritual. Let's go back all the way to Genesis chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. Who mocked who? Who persecuted who? Did Abel persecute Cain or did Cain persecute Abel? The flesh persecuted the spiritual. If you go forward to, uh, to uh, Isaac and Ishmael right here, you find that Ishmael persecuted Isaac. If you look, it was Joseph's older brethren, the carnal ones, that persecuted the spiritual one. If you look at Jacob and Esau, it was Esau that threatened to kill Jacob and not the other way around. You'll feel a sense of intimidation from the flesh. The natural man knows he's being replaced. It was Saul who persecuted David, not David who persecuted Saul. It was Absalom who persecuted David, not David who persecuted Absalom. You with me? There's patterns throughout the Bible. It was Judas who persecuted Christ and not the other way around. Christ called him friend. And this pattern is throughout Scripture. The flesh persecutes the spiritual. And even so, here in Galatians, the, those who were trusting in their natural self, they were trusting in their own ability to be righteous by proving to God that they were as righteous as he by keeping his laws. When the law had already proven they were not righteous and they would not submit to the righteousness of God, they come in and they're persecuting Paul. He's teaching you that you're just going to have faith in Christ and be saved. It requires something of us, doesn't it? You with me tonight? It is, the, it is the flesh that persecutes the spiritual. Just as Ishmael persecuted Isaac even today, carnal believers persecute spiritual believers and the lost persecute the saved. And people talk about uh, Christians and the Crusades. There weren't any Christians crusading. There were Catholics crusading. There were Muslims crusading, killing each other. It is Christians who've been persecuted, hung from the, by their necks, burned at the stake, stretched on the racks, burnt, dug up and bones burned. There's never been a Christian persecuted a Catholic. Those Catholics have put many a Christian in their grave. You know why? Catholics teach you can be righteous by natural endeavor. And a true Bible believer is going to say, no, it's by faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. And it's always the flesh persecuting the spiritual. So we see the parallel in those relationships in the reproduction of Ishmael and Isaac and then in the recourse that Isaac took against Ishmael in persecuting him, mocking him. May I say this tonight? I hope you hear me well, especially you young people. Don't you live your life under the pressure of being mocked, under the pressure of someone will think I'm stupid. You do that, you know who you're following? The flesh. You and I need to live our lives by confidence in the word of God. This is so applicable to us tonight. This is exactly what the Galatians were dealing. The Judaizers came in, put the pressure on them and said, you're not really righteous unless you do it like we're doing it. And they succumbed to the pressures and the mocking of the Judaizers. They mocked them for being simpleton. You just, you simpletons think that faith in Christ alone is going to save you. No, 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 no. You, you've got to live it. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. And you've got to do this. You've got to be like us. We're the ones that really have it together. You fools who believe this simple gospel that Jesus Christ alone saves you and makes you righteous. What fools? No, no. You've got to have a religion like us, our traditions, our pomp, our circumstances. Do you realize that there are formalistic religions tonight that think the kind of church we have is for fools? You people get around singing these hymns. Churches that have pomp and circumstances think that what we're doing is, is absolute idiocy. Because you come in and you just, 
you, know, you think you have direct access to God. You don't have a priestly order. You don't have this. You simpletons. Ah, that's their attitude. Just believe that the Bible is true. It's more complicated than that. Don't succumb to the mockery of men. You know what? We need to live by confidence in the word of God. And there's a pressure put on every one of us. You know what mockery is intended to do? You know what, you know what Ishmael's trying to do? He is trying to take rule back over. He and his mother are the ones under bondage. And he's trying to put Isaac, who was free, in bondage with him. And you know what? That's what's going on in Galatians. Those who are still trusting their own righteousness are in bondage. They'll live all their days serving that law, trying to prove they're righteous and die without righteousness. We who are born again are free. We have been freed from the bondage of sin. We have been freed from the condemnation of sin. We are now children of God by faith in Christ. We are free to serve God. And those who are not free want to bring us back into bondage and mockery and persecution are used to try to accomplish it. And we need not fall for that. And then finally, uh, the precept we find in this passage. We find the patriarch that we looked at in verse 21 22, Abraham. We're reminded he had two, two uh, re reproduced two sons through two relationships. And there's a parallel in those relationships and those sons reproduced. And also in the recourse that Ishmael took against Isaac. Verses 30 and 31, the apostle Paul takes us back to what Genesis 21 tells us. And nevertheless, let's go look at verse 29. But as he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture cast out the bondwoman and her son? For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. What's he saying? There's a point in here in Galatians where Paul says he wished those that were teaching salvation and righteousness through circumcision and keeping the law. He said, I would that they were cut off who are teaching you this. I would that their influence is cut off of your life. And so he says, here's what God told Abraham to do. You go back to Genesis 21. Let's read it, verses 8 through 12. Genesis 21, when Hagar was there and Ishmael began to mock Isaac, Sarah said, get rid of that woman and her son. I don't want them around here. We're going to be done with that relationship and we're going to be done with that reproduction those folks are going to be a thing of the past. And God said through Sarah and her influence, yes, cast out the bondwoman. Genesis chapter 21, verse 8, And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac, and the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman, and all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called, and also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. And he goes on talking about what he's going to do with, with Ishmael. But he tells him, Yes, Sarah's right. Cast out the bondwoman, and her son. You know what the implicate or the application is to us? You're no go to Romans 7. Go to Romans 7. We'll get the doctrinal application to this. You know what? When we are trying to keep the law and are married to the law, we constantly must go about to try to, to establish 
and prove our righteousness, but when the law has accomplished its purpose, it proves that in our flesh there dwelleth no good thing. When the law has finished its, its purpose in us, you know what we need to do? Realize that the dispensation of the law is a marriage of the past. We're not married to the law. We're married to the one who fulfilled the law. Romans chapter 7, verse 1, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead... She is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. You know what God's saying to Abraham? Your relationship with Hagar is done. You're not going to try to be married to Hagar and married to Sarah at the same time. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. Cast out everything that the flesh produces. You cannot naturally in your natural self produce righteousness. Abraham, you could not produce the seed. You and Hagar could not produce the seed. All you produced was a wild man. Cast her out. You are married to Sarah. You have a son that is a miracle. You raise him. And even so, the application to us is our relationship to the law is complete. It's finished. Put that behind you. You are now married to Christ. We are the offspring of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Be done with that. That's the thing of the patent. We're not saying the law is bad, but the law has fulfilled its purpose. Just like when a woman has a husband and he dies... That marriage is done giving her liberty to be married to someone else. You know what the law did to us? It killed us. It did its job. We're dead in Christ. And yet we're not unmarried. Many today want to act like, well, I'm not married to the law. I am free to go live in spiritual adultery and fornication. No, you're married to Jesus Christ. Which is better, to be married to the law that produces death or to Christ who gave us life? And the idea is that I am willingly and free as a, a child of God to be loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a different kind of a relationship. The old relationship was one of bondage, but this is a genuine relationship. We are the genuine offspring of God. And so the, the, the flesh and all, listen, all confidence in our own natural self is to be done, gone by faith in Christ we're to have no confidence in our flesh. The Bible says we have no confidence in the flesh. We are to make no provision for the flesh. Your natural man and mine is corrupt and rotten, has been proven filthy and, and, and unfit for God. So cast that out and have confidence in Jesus Christ. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. God said, Abraham, you can't be married to both these women at one time. You can't follow the Lord Jesus Christ and live by the grace of God by faith in the life of Christ and yet still have faith in your own self. You can't do both. So cast out faith in yourself. That's Ishmael. Cast out being married and loyal to your flesh and your ability to produce righteousness. No, be done with that. Be done with any self-confidence. Be done with it. Cast it out. Amen? We have now been liberated to serve God. We'll get into the liberty uh, in chapter 5. But the command was cast out the bondwoman, the cause... For casting out, because Sarah said, he will not be heir with my son. I'll remind us, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 50 says, For flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You know how much of your natural man is going to be in heaven? 
None. This body's not going to be in heaven. This body's not going to be walking to Jerusalem. No, it's cursed by sin. This body's going to turn into dirt. You know, you know who's going to be walking with God? The one that Jesus Christ birthed in me the day he saved me. And what my new body's going to look like, I have no idea. We don't know. We'll know when we see Christ. But the fact of the matter is, why would we have confidence in this fleshly, this, this, this nature that can produce nothing but corruption and death? Our entire full confidence needs to be in the Lord Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit, His Word, His promises. Remember, Isaac was a miracle child. The new nature in you is a miracle. The new birth in you, look, none of us is here tonight as a miracle. We are the product of, of natural reproduction. I'm talking about physically. But the new man in every one of us is the product of a miracle. So where does our focus need to be? I'm propping up and, and defending the righteousness of my natural man? Or no, no be, cast that out, be done with that. We are a new creature in Christ. We, like Isaac was, are the children of promise. The new nature that's in me is the result of the promise of God and believing that promise and God birthing life in us through Jesus Christ. And so the command, cast out the bondwoman, that ought to be our attitude toward the flesh and its ability to produce righteousness. We have no room for that in our hearts and in our minds. That's past. And so the cause, because... Uh, flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God just like Ishmael was not going to be heir with Isaac. They're not going to split the inheritance of Abraham. No, they're not going to be heirs together. Let me read very quickly Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, and then we'll wrap this up here in just a moment. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Paul is dealing with a very similar issue among the Philippians. He says in verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. And we'll, and we'll write something that's going to protect you. Verse 2, beware of dogs. That's not talking about physical dogs. It's talking about immoral people who live like dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. The same exact group they're having to deal with in Galatia. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in, in Christ Jesus and have how much confidence in the flesh? No confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. And he goes on to talk about his, his natural credentials. Circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He said, If you're going to rejoice in what you naturally can produce, I got it together. But we have no confidence in the flesh. Meaning, you're sitting here tonight, you're a third generation Christian, fourth generation Christian. Don't put any confidence in that. That doesn't give you power to serve God. It may give you some knowledge that you're responsible to respond to, but that does not equip us to serve God in and of itself. Does it make you righteous to be a fourth generation born into a, a Christian family? No. It doesn't make you, no, no confidence in the flesh. That's our natural position. It's what we're born into. You realize a person born into a fourth generation Christian family has to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit of God just like anybody else does? It's the same for every one of us. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you were saved as a drug addict or you are saved as a pastor's son. It's going to take the same living Christ to enable you, number one, to go to heaven and live like you're on your way to heaven until you get there. It's going to take the same so that it is dependence upon Him. We have no confidence in our flesh. May I say this? Spend time reading your Bible, but don't put confidence in your Bible reading. Put confidence in the author. 
Spend time in prayer, but don't put confidence in your prayer. Put confidence in the one you're praying to. I hope you're not missing what I'm saying to you. Some say, well, I don't understand why I'm not succeeding in the Christian life. I've, I've, Pastor, I do what we talked about in Sunday school this morning. I've got 30 minutes in the morning to spend time in Bible reading and prayer. I think I'm praying the way I'm supposed to. I'm dotting all my eyes and I'm saying, Heavenly Father, I'm praying in Jesus' name. Uh, I'm bowing my knees and closing my eyes. And I even went in a literal closet and shut the door. Those are all natural things. There's nothing wrong with them. But then where's our confidence? In how we're doing it? Or who's doing that in us? Are we confident in our prayer life? Or are we confident in the one we pray to? Are you with me tonight? Are we confident in our church? Or are we confident in the head of the church? Tonight, if we're not careful, we quickly put confidence in our flesh. What I am able to do rather than him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. The just shall live by faith. When Abraham tried to produce what God promised, he created a mess. But when Abraham trusted God to prompt produce what God promised, how many you know that God has promised to work in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure? That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And when we respond to the promise of God, respond to him by faith, knowing he cannot lie and he'll keep his word. How many of us know God has promised wisdom if we lack it? Then we should be filled with wisdom. As we look to God and wait on God, how many of you have ever replaced the wisdom God would have given you with your own reasoning and lived to regret it? May we wait on the Lord and know that he'll keep his promises. How many know that he has promised to make a way to escape from temptation? then let's trust him for it. Living by faith. And when we do, the life that is produced is a miracle life. No person should be able to naturally explain how the Christian life is carried out. It should only be able to be explained by the, the power of a living Savior, living in us, living through us, as we trust him and submit to him. The only way you could explain Isaac was how? If someone said, oh, Sarah, what a beautiful child. Is he your child? She could honestly say, yes, I bore him. Oh, I bet you and Abraham are happy that you're able to do that. She said, it is absolutely impossible if God hadn't done it. But God gave me what we were unable to produce. The Christian life is produced by the power of God as we act in faith on his word. Amen? Not as we, in our natural abilities, do what God wants us to do. We live by faith. The conclusion here, verse 31, So then, brethren, we are not, the, not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. You know, he's reminding the Galatians, you are like Isaac. The fact that you are spiritually children of God is a miracle of God. You believed God. God gave life to you just like he put life in Sarah's womb by faith, even as with you and I. The new birth is a miracle, and the life must be lived accordingly. I hope this makes some sense tonight. We should have absolutely zero confidence in our flesh. It's not worth our trust. That life of fleshly reasoning and fleshly production should be behind us. We are now, we're, we're like Isaac. We're in the family of God by a miracle. Let's live according to that calling. Let's stand.